Hello and welcome to Covert Castaway. I'm Holly. Je suis Stéphane. Join us as we share what we learn and how we're making the transition to live aboard cruising. We're really excited about today's podcast because we were um, lucky enough to get an email from a couple listeners uh, who will introduce themselves. And they wanted to ask us questions. And we thought, how fun would it be for us to also record it? And, you know, maybe there's some questions that other listeners have, and we might be able to, you know, share, share that information as well. So we invited them to come on and um, ask away free form, and we'll do the best we can to, you know, get those questions answered. You guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? Sure. Thank you, first of all, for being so kind and to take our questions. We believe very strongly that one of the best ways to embark on our new journey, because we've only three weeks ago decided that we also want to follow your footsteps uh, and uh, and live lives as liveaboard cruisers. And it's all kind of daunting. There are so many questions that we have and what better way to navigate the tricky waters of choice than to meet with folks like yourselves who've done it before us. So, so thank you, Holly and Stefan, both of you for, for the time. So by way of, uh, by way of introduction, uh, my name's Mark. I am an American living in Copenhagen and have moved here about uh, two years ago in order to be closer to my kids of a previous marriage with a Dane. So I'm familiar with this uh, cross-cultural um, yeah. European-American uh, mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spent my life, um, uh, even though an American uh, abroad, living and working in countries like Switzerland, Russia, Sweden, Denmark, France, um, uh, Belgium, and uh, and now uh, and now Denmark. Um, I come from a background of primarily hospitality. Was an executive in hotel companies and had left in uh, 15 the whole executive career to become retrained as a wellness coach, a certified nutritional consultant and homeopathist. And when Catherine and I were sitting together, uh, and she's sitting in, in Boise, when we were talking together about three weeks ago, we said, well, how is it we're going to bridge the distance between Denmark and, and the States? Are you going to come live in Copenhagen or am I going to go back to Boise? Uh, what are we going to do? And we just came up with this crazy idea that living on a boat would uh, would be the perfect mm-hmm. compromise because we go wherever we're together, and and wherever the home is, we're going to be together. So, <laughs> so that 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 was the uh, genesis of this cockamamie idea. All right. So my name is Catherine, and as Mark said, we are living in two different uh, locations right now. Um, I have been. Um, presented with a new opportunity in my life of being basically an empty nester where I've launched all four children. And so we uh, are talking about doing and living the dreams that we've always had uh, that was not necessarily possible with young children at home and so forth. So um, when we came up with this idea a few weeks ago, we just really enabled us to be creative and to think about all of the um, different options that we have before us. And um, so it's really exciting. It's fun to think that we could combine our passion for travel and wellness and um, adventure and uh, be together all during that time. So uh, that's how how we got to where we are. We're grateful for people like you, Holly and Stefan, who have been documenting your journey and for those who um, have sort of helped uh, better formulate what it looks like and, and help us to develop our overall dream. So thank yeah. you. That's awesome. And it does, when you kind of initially land on an idea like this, it does sound completely crazy. And then you're like talking about it with each other and it sounds completely sane. And then you, you hear yourself talking to other friends and stuff and it sounds completely crazy again. Um, <laughs> so the whole revealing your plan to your friends is, is an interesting process as well. Yeah. That's very true. On a, on a qualitative basis, however, 
you know, you guys, you guys were together. You had a home together, and basically, you created a transition from one yeah. home to another. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's a means to an end whereby we can actually live together, which we don't currently do. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of transition, there's a there's a whole welcoming aspect. It's not like you know we we want to rip ourselves out from where it is we are today in order to do what it is we want to do in the future mm-hmm. whereas in your case it was it was uh, purely elective you know you both chose to leave your careers you both chose to sell that house of yours um and you know it must seem it must seem a bit more daunting i suppose when you're when you're kind of ripping up your roots and and having them transplanted as opposed to for us it's a means to an end yeah, it, it, I think it's it's a really big transition. Um, you know, everybody we've talked to, they all have their own different flavor of of a transition, and it's it's a complete lifestyle change. Any way you look at it, it no matter what you leave behind, you know, because you're you're living on land, so suddenly living on a boat, um, you know, is kind of a whole different adventure, I guess I would mm-hmm. say. <laughs> That's when we're right in the thick of it. You know, like when you reached out, I was like, okay, well, we'll answer your questions, but you have to understand we're in this like trough of despair on the change curve, you know, because we're going through some really hard stuff. Um, it's all great and it's it's actually getting better, but, um, you know, it is it is definitely a, a change, definitely a process. So, so you mentioned that trough of despair. It's kind of interesting. Let's start with the, <laughs> let's start with the end as opposed to the beginning because you've yeah. already outlined that so well in your podcast prior. Well, it seems like the honeymoon period either hasn't started with this new life, <laughs> or the transition is really uh, challenging for you. Why? Why the trough of despair? Why do you describe it as such? Yeah, and I'm I'm being a bit facetious, but not much. I think that um, to put it in context, you know, uh, a lot of people said to us before we actually got the boat, <laughs> who were a year or two ahead of us. Um, don't underestimate the level of change that you will be faced with. And um, the first year is always the hardest. So if you can get through the first year and you know there's going to be more downs than ups, and it's not downs like bad stuff, it's just stuff you're not familiar with. If you can get through that, you know, then you'll figure out what kind of, you know, cruiser you, you want to be. You, you learn a lot about yourself, a lot about yourselves as a couple, and a lot about, you know, where your boundaries or tolerances or enjoyments are. And then you can kind of formulate, you know, where you want to be. So we were sort of warned going in, I would say. Um, but I think it's just, it, everything's new. I mean, every single thing that you can imagine is completely new and different. And I'll stop there and let Stefan. Yeah. I mean, there are challenges to the cruising life. Um, you know, the weather, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the boat systems that might malfunction and you're in foreign countries. Um, so that alone is uh, it's interesting. I think our first year for us, there were additional um, kind of COVID visa work. Yeah. Yeah. There were things like these that where we had to move the boat between certain times to be at a certain destination. So Holly could connect and work. Um, so you want to simplify everything you can simplify because there is enough challenges when you're traveling in different countries and different seas and different weather conditions. And with a new boat that you're, you're discovering, and uh, so I think that that created an additional um, complexity. Pressure, I think. And I would say it's not so much despair as it is, it's overwhelming. It, there's mm-hmm. a lot to take in, a lot to learn. And, you know, we, we sailed previously. Um, Stefan has a lot more experience than I do. But, you know, I, I initially got my training and some of my certifications what was it like eight years ago or something like mm-hmm. that? Um, so it's been a while. I mean, granted, we don't sail every day. You know, we didn't sail every day back then, but you know, we had some experience. We've been sort of living in the boat world, I guess, meaning gathering information. You know, dealing with the broker, dealing with the boat, dealing with all of the things we wanted to prepare ourselves for, but I just don't think anything can prepare you for the amount of information and learning you're taking in all at once, once you actually get on the boat. Mm. And yeah, I guess especially in a new boat, huh? 
Exactly. Yeah. I would say new boat, that's your home. (laughs) So it's one thing, you know, you go drive your car and you're like, okay, if I get in an accident, you know, you come back home, you get a rental car, you're like away, far away from home and that's, that's your home. And, um, so, you know, it adds naturally a little bit of, uh, of, um, stress, stress to it. Um, so there's certain things like these that, um, that and and it what's interesting what we we noted i mean um like if i'm on the boat because the boat you know i mean things are new and you know you're sailing in different waters it's it's different when you sail so we're in the san francisco bay area when you sail in the bay there's a lot of things that are in the back of your head and you know how things are going to behave more or less currents winds gusts and traffic Hi. yeah but now you get into uh, different waters and different countries and and what we noted and noticed is um one uh, when i'm on the boat i'm like continuously monitoring everything and then just the weather the other boats around us the and, and it's it's mentally like draining and Holly is more relaxed, but when we leave the boat, I feel like okay, I'm I'm like moving on. But Holly's yeah, but then about- I'm stressed <laughs> out because all I'm thinking about is is the boat okay? You know, is someone going to hit it? You know, um, yeah. will the anchor hold? You know, is the wind going to blow really hard in, us into the dock? Do we have enough fenders out? You know, yeah. and I think this all becomes you get more comfortable as you become more comfortable. If you think of you know, way back a thousand years ago when we all got our driver's license for the first time, it's kind of like that. You're, you're, you're worried because you don't have enough experience yet understanding, you know, if the boat's going to be okay and having confidence that you did the right things to, you know, keep it safe and keep yourself safe when you're underway. And, and we know, for example, with the anchors that are available today, they are much, much better than the yeah. all the models. You know, we there's like things that you are going to kind of become more comfortable. But it's I think it's a process. Yeah. You know, in the first mm-hmm. year, you're going to monitor everything, and until you feel like okay, in this type of gust, you know, the anchor like held very well. Okay, I can relax a little bit about this. I can focus on something yeah. else. And yeah. It's um yeah it's it takes time. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's your home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So do you think in retrospect there, I mean, you had a fairly long period of time and in terms of anticipation, you, you made the order for the boat at the, at the Annapolis boat show some one and a half, almost two years prior to starting. So you, one would have argued you had sufficient time to prepare to a certain extent. Um, maybe you didn't get your training in terms of the medical side of the equation that that's COVID related, but is there anything you would have done differently to, to help um, maybe flatten that learning curve so that when you're on board, you'd feel more comfortable. I mean, if, if you bought, for example, a used boat as opposed to a new one and you chartered the same model beforehand to become acquainted with the systems, would would that have given you a different level of comfort or is there not much you would have done differently in order to ease that transition? Um, I think to buying a used boat, um, will to some degree maybe be okay. The boat has already been <laughs> kind of, is not perfect. Yeah. And but even if you buy a new used boat, you got to go through all the stuff to com- no, you know, the, get it ready. Yeah. Yeah. On one way, I mean, yeah. you're like, okay, there's, they're like little things here and there yeah, on the yeah. boat and you know it's not perfect versus when it's new it's it's pretty perfect and you want to keep it this oh, way yeah, yeah, so there's maybe like okay if you hit something a little bit or you know you might be a little bit less um less um anxious about some things mm-hmm. um on on the other side it's still going to remain your home and once you're moving on it and i think it's you know it, and you're going to have to learn that boat how it behaves how you know yeah. getting comfortable with it so the only thing i would say is and and just to uh, probably we've talked about this in the podcast i mean I think overall we did a lot of things to help us get here and yeah. i think in general we're we're fairly well prepared um and with chartered boats but there's a difference when we charter a boat for one week uh, with other couples and and that's another another thing to add to this is uh, when we chartered boats one even if you don't want to lose your deposit and you're being careful with the boat as it was your own it's still you're here for one week and it's it's uh, it's not your own boat 
and we are with other couples and you have things that kind of can change your mind or other people can contribute. But here you are just two people running the boat and you have to rely on each other. And, um, and then when you're doing the passages and overnight, um, you need to get some sleep and one person needs to be on watch and be, feel comfortable to run the boat. Mm -hmm. And the other person that goes to sleep have to feel comfortable that, you know, the other person is going to, you know, take care of everything. So, and, and then, you know, even if you're trying to manage your sleep, I mean, when you do a second night, it quickly adds up. Yeah. And that's only two people running running a fairly big boat. Yeah. I think um, one thing I did that helped me um, mm -hmm. among many things that we've done, and I, I did a podcast on this, I think, is I had never done a passage before. It was sort of a black box to me. And, you know, while I we did charters and we, you know, sailed on the bay and we sailed outside, you know, uh, along the coast of California and stuff, I'd never done a passage for multiple days. So I opted to do a passage um, with 59 North and I got on their boat and they're kind of old school, you know, like they're kind of, you know, hearty, salty, offshore, blue water sailors. And so I did the Key West to Bermuda leg. So you, you kind of also add in the whole factor around the Bermuda Triangle and, you know, all this like weird stuff that messes with your head. And uh, the boat was big, you know, we were going... Um, uh, upwind the whole time, beating, um, you know, the weather was contentious. You know, we had a lot of things like that. But then I, I, I walked away from that experience going, oh, wow, okay, so I get what a passage is. I didn't freak out. I was actually able to sleep. I did my watches. Um, so I think that was really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. If you'd never done a passage before, Stefan has done um, multiple races on the Pack Cup and the Transpac. So, you know, he's done, what was that, two weeks or something like that? I'm yeah, 11 sure. to 14 days. Yeah. So I think that was helpful. I mean, if anything, like that we could have done, you know, depending on timeline, is, is just, I mean, when we met, I had a small racing boat and we used it for day sailing, even like camping. We called it boat camping. <laughs> yeah. But to have a kind of more like a used monohome next to a home and mm -hmm. go spend, you know, just to learn sailing basics on yeah. our own boat and starting to learn also more about the systems. It's one thing when you charter a boat, you only need to know a certain level. Uh, and then you can always call the chartering company. If there is an issue, you're not going to go into the, yeah. the dirty <laughs> uh, things to, to get it fixed. But when it's your own boat, you know, you have to like think about all the spare parts, understanding how that works. And, and it's a process. So if we would have had our own like monohole or use monohole and, and be, you know, uh, while we're in the barrier and using it more often and, and kind of learn more sailing together. Um, I think that will have probably, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, what, our degree. problem was we always invited people on and, hmm. you know, cause we like to also use that as a social. And so, you know, for you and I in the boat together, we didn't, we didn't do that as the primary objective. It was more mm. like, let's go out and go sailing and it's a lot of fun, which is kind of just to be completely comprehensive on answering this question for you. Um, we did also spend a lot of time talking about uh, communication and mm. um, collaboration style. And, you know, in sort of in our land world, you know, I, I don't know, Stefan, if I'm sure you would agree with this. I, I tend to be more like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But on the boat, he obviously has much more experience and he's the captain. And so we talked a lot about this dynamic where I'm going to have to take orders, you know? And so as a personality, there's, there's dynamics involved in that, I think, that we talk through a bit. And, and I think it's not some, we were talking about this a couple of days ago, it's not so much taking orders. It's more Holly is used to... Taking through, charge, yeah. Taking charge and through her work also, you know, to lead. Um, and when there is a situation on the boat, 
most likely I've been thinking about this for a while and I already been analyzing the situation and Holly comes and wants to help and she's taking charge and want to do some (laughs) things that are not helpful in the moment and that are like overwhelming because I'm like, what are we talking about right now? This is not a priority. So it's, it's kind of, we have to figure out, you know, how to work to communicate and and work together and change the dynamic uh, until, you know, we are kind yeah. of more knowledgeable. But even just basics, you know, like, you know, when we were l- figuring out how to do med mooring, right? And we're backing in and, or, or something like that or pulling on a line, you know, you would say, slack, slack. And I'm like, more slack, less slack. Do I pull it? Do I push it? Like <laughs> you have to get the language down on how you're going to communicate and work together on the yeah. boat to do certain maneuvers. And that's unique to you, you know? And so we've had a lot of discussions about, okay, so when we're getting ready to do this thing, here's what we're going to do. So what do you want me to say? Do you want me to talk about the distance? Do you want me to talk about, you know, the speed? And so just that kind of stuff, I think we're working through too. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's both the communication and the role definition, which is really important. And we got that also from your interviews with, uh, for example, Teresa at uh, Sailing Ruby Rose. We enjoyed how she said, well, you know, Nick, uh, Nick is the systems guy and I'm, I'm happy with him working on the engine. And, uh, you know, I do the cooking or whatever, you know. Yeah, as as you have to work through your roles. What about um, when you guys think back to um, the when you made the decision for the boat that you selected, how does it actually compare with, um, with what you really have today? You know, it looks different at a boat show than it would having your own personal items and all the different uh, parts that the that are actually needed and tools and so forth like did that reality was it consistent or were there things that surprised you that's a great question i i don't think anything surprised me um you know you you kind of have your own stuff in it and then and then yeah i guess the thing is the first month i was on the boat i was constantly moving things around because i was like okay it's going to go here and then i'm like no no i have to go all the way over here to get a spatula that's not going to work i'm going to put it over there like you you kind of just start to sort things the way you you want your living flow to work. I've moved towels like, I don't know, 10 different times and Stefan can never find anything because I'm always moving stuff. Um, but no, I mean, I feel like it it's, it's what I expected. It, probably even better, they upgraded from the time we put our deposit down to the time we got the boat. They upgraded some of the finishes and made them better. Um, I think they're also listening to some input from owners on you know, where to put certain things or, you know, fixing certain things to, that just aren't, that weren't right. Maybe when the boat first came out, um, that was another thing. We didn't want to be part of the first 50 people that got this design of the boat. Uh, we wanted to wait until they had, you know, worked out some of the kinks, which I think was, was good because they, they did do that. There were some kinks that needed to be worked through. Um, but I can't say, I mean, I think, you know, you first get on the boat and you move your stuff on your on the boat and it's like, pinch me, I can't believe we're living on a boat. Um, but, there, you know, there's always some things that you go, okay, maybe this boat was designed by someone who hasn't actually ever lived on a boat. There are some weird things like that little stupid toe cruncher thing that we hit our foot on every time going into the bathroom. <laughs> you know, there's like these little tiny quirks about the boat that are just like, hmm, you know, who thought of that? Um, well, the number of outlets in the kitchen you mentioned. Outlets, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Um, but I mean, did, did you say there was any change in expectation? Well, I think what we didn't realize is, so you buy the boat and you have options yeah, from yeah. the from the boat manufacturer and you're like okay you know that's good <laughs> and then then you realize okay i want you know not those type of options that they offer so you want something else and then you have this commissioning process and by then you think okay the boat is going to be perfectly like set the way you or want or at least it. 90% done yeah. you're thinking and, yeah and then we were lucky to have um, uh, this person Loic that we mentioned who is a boat technician but also lived on this boat for 18 months and and suddenly like the projects that he did and worked on on this boat makes our life much much easier especially uh you know just the sailing the boat as a couple so i would say if you buy a new boat it's between you know the options from the factor the options from the dealer there is still um you a know a preparation phase. phase 
to really make it, to make things easier right. and uh, for you to handle the boat. So you're going to, um, uh, you know, if you had a crew, you would not worry too much about it. But when you're down to two people, uh, you really need to, to do this. And then, and that would be a more logical step when you buy a used boat because you're going to think, yeah. okay, uh, the person has done certain things, but, you know, I know that I'm going to have to do, you know, certain projects on the boat to either bring it up to par to what, you know, uh, maybe more modern technology or stuff, or you don't like the way this person had done something, but also, you know, uh, so that preparation phase is not to be discounted for a new right. boat, but definitely will be a longer for. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's absolutely true. Like, you know, we knew there was going to be some tweaking we would want to do, but I think we called it, we thought of it as tweaking. We didn't think of it as a whole other phase of kind of a second commissioning process. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we had the benefit. So give some examples of how Loic set the rigging up to make it easier. Well, so we, we want to sail the boat as much as possible. And so we bought some downwind sails. Uh, so we have a Code Zero, we have um, a Jenneker, we have a Spinnaker. So that means all the rigging the, needs to be set up because the, by definition, the, when the boat, you buy the boat, it has you know just the main, the Genoa. And um, so if you really want to make it easy and smart the way it's being configured. Um, and luckily in the, in the Facebook group for the 47, there is um, a couple of great people who've like figured things out and we just copied uh, the, the, right. the, the setup. But because we have this setup now, because we have all these lines and all these cells, then it makes it much more enjoyable that to say, okay, now we can raise this sail. We know what to do. It's, it's set up properly. And so the lines, the cleats, the blocks, all of that stuff, you know, kind of all organized and in the right places and ready to go. So, and and that's what you want is just, you want things to be easy because there is, there's a lot of things to worry about and you want to simplify things as much as possible. You want like some processes on how you're going to do things. Um, and on your own, it takes time to improve things to, to, and when you benefit from, you know, a group of people who have already uh, spent some time thinking about stuff, then you can copy that and be like, wow, I'm so glad we, in the first season, we had that set up because then right. we we're much more able to. Cause you just it. don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think, like I said, in an earlier podcast, having Loic help us with that stuff in this third phase of the commissioning process, I would call it, um, probably sped us up maybe a year in terms of getting the boat where we needed it to yeah. be. And, and I'm curious, like, so you, you live in different uh, geographies and, and the boat is going to be the, the central point, but where are you thinking initially um, you'll combine all these together and are you planning to spend, you know, I mean, first, like where, where are you thinking? Uh, are you thinking doing this in the U S doing this in a foreign country? That's an extremely good question. And to a certain extent, it depends on where the boat is, right. Mm-hmm. And whether or not it's new or used just to close the discussion on, on this whole commissioning process. I mean, you had a lot of experience, Stefan, and, and I'm sure that, you know, you were able to, well, we, we heard in your podcast that the commissioning process was nevertheless kind of uh, kind of arduous, you know, do you go with AC or not? What about the LED lights? I can tell you, I've got quotes in front of me for new boats, and, and it's daunting. I mean, you yeah. know, things like carbon dock line shave plates or or do we upgrade the helm witches to electric times two versus the standard uh mm-hmm. you know uh, these sorts of things um, where you don't even understand what it is they're asking the implications and, yeah um, yeah so so that 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 that's what makes like a, a a new almost new boat you know something something that has been in production owned maybe maybe four to six years uh really tried and tested uh, by by somebody who you know hopefully took it around the world and kitted it out with exactly the sails you know that are still usable, exactly the winches, the cleats, the the, the chocks, everything needed to make it um, seaworthy without us having to break it in. That that to me seems like a so much easier path. But as to the location, um, you know, if if we were to get I don't know, uh, say as say as 
say a boat that's uh, that's that's newly commissioned a leopard, say in South Africa. Well, my mother lives in Hermanus. She's uh, she's South African, so we may want to go that's to that awesome. destination in order to start her journey. Uh, if it's an existing boat that you know happens to be uh, say in Bimini at the right price, uh, and it's a great starting point for an adventure in terms of departure in rather friendly waters, well, we'll do that, right? So we're we're less concerned about location, you know, in terms of registration. Um, we know that it's not going to reside in U.S. waters and therefore be, um, be exposed to to U.S. tax considerations, although I suppose we can do Delaware. Uh, you've got the BVI option, as, as you guys had done. Um, so, so location, it, it's almost anywhere. I mean, part of me says, hell, if, if there was a boat in New Zealand, um, then why not start, you know, there? Yeah. <laughs> and, and How about you, Catherine? What about you and location? Um, I, I agree. I mean, I'm up for anything. I think really um, for us personally, it comes down to um, Mark's job. And so we were just talking about that before we got on to uh, talk to you two. Just next week, we'll have a better sense of where that's going to lead him. So, you know, we've talked one option of um, getting a boat sooner um, in the U.S. or, you know, be here and kind of live on it for a little bit, just kind of doing little small trips um, mm-hmm. And that would enable me to continue working um, within the time zones that we have. I said, you know, we've got anywhere from the Bahamas to Hawaii to really kind of spread out to be able to meet my work time zone requirements. Um, And that would give us a lot of experience still kind of close to what's familiar. Um, And then another aspect was the whole COVID consideration, you know, where, uh, how will that look for us um, Mm -hmm. trying to get into other countries? But, um, you know, on the other hand, if, you know, things could change quickly. And as he said, we could be in New Zealand buying a boat and starting there. So it, it, they're just out, some circumstances that we'll have better understanding um, personally over the next couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I'm asking is because we're talking about that preparation phase, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting the either you buy, I mean, a used boat and but you need to do certain things to it. And, and also... Um, you know, you get a chance to, um, to get to use the boat. And, and I think, you know, on our side, the thinking was, okay, we, we buy it in France. We'll be close to the Met. We can start our world tour this way. And I speak French. I'm French. And, you know, that's hard not can be, be. Yeah. Hard <laughs> can it be? And, and then, then you realize that even if you know the language and the culture, um, you know, this industry is, is kind completely of, foreign. Yeah, it's, it's not like anything you've ever experienced in your life. We it's, come from the high tech industry in the Samsung frequency in the Bay Area, and then um, you know, just I mean, not that everything is perfect, but you know, it, it works and kind of in the American way, and then uh, maybe a little more, you know, because of this, you know, big companies and 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 this is a small industry. This is small companies, and and they do a, they make it work. They do a great job, but just you, not, you have to know that there will be some challenges. Yeah. Gravity and, works different. Yeah. I guess that's the way to say. And it. now I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy like we did in France because at least you know uh, there was familiarity for myself and to establish some relationships and so forth. But if you buy a boat like in Greece, and now you're like dealing with people in a totally like foreign country, like speaking, maybe not the language perfectly. We have like a certain kind of standard about, you know, how they get, you know, they fix boats. And so I would say, yeah, New Zealand is probably, I would be like, okay, I would not worry about it because that would be like the U S or like Australia. Annapolis or Florida would be good. Yeah. So there are some countries I would say yes. And some other countries I would say, Ooh, because there will be this preparation phase that Mm -hmm. is important. Um, to uh, e- even to spend the money to buy the boat somewhere and then ship it to I don't know to the US or something, um, because then you can be closer to the boats yeah. potentially, and then you have some companies that are you know will do a good job and and you you're not you know they care about the reputation yeah and, yeah. Yeah, so, that's true. And and there is an argument to be made in terms of the laws protecting you know, consumer laws, right? Yeah. Uh, that would be different, say, in, in mm. Greece or Turkey rather than the States. And there's also the consideration we thought, you know, if we were to get a, for example, a Fontaine Peugeot as well, um, or, or for that matter, a Leopard. 
part of me would want it shipped to the States to avoid the kind of things that you faced, you know, toilets uh, that don't flush or ACs that, uh, that you know, uh, aren't connected properly, in that if it, if it sails across an ocean to get to you, then a lot of the kinks will be worked out by, by people who work by them the out. broker. By the, the journey, and, yeah. You know, if yeah. if during sailing the rigging the rigging adjusts because you know it's hit the high seas, well they'll adjust it en route. So by the time you get it in Annapolis, and it went from Cape Town to La Rochelle, then then it's already it's already worked out some of the kinks in advance. So that's yeah. With, that's, just to just on that point, how the process works is if you if you buy the boat. Um, and I'm just going to speak for Fountain Peugeot because that's all we're familiar with. Although we've heard that a similar process exists for other boats, um, they you can either ship it on a ship or or they can sail it across for you. And they if if it gets sailed across and that's the way they deliver it to you, um, the broker in the U.S. builds into their quote. Um, an amount of money basically set aside to fix everything that broke along the passage. So they're not fixing it on the passage. It actually shows up at the dealer and then the dealer fixes everything or, you know, services everything again before you actually get the boat. So that is a great benefit because it essentially it's a huge shakedown cruise and everything, you know, something's going to break. There's things that are going to break. Mm. Um, and at that point, you know, the, the people on the other side will fix it. And our broker, our broker did that if we w- would have wanted to have the boat delivered um, to the U S but we wanted to start our experience in, in the med um, because that's where we wanted to start it. So we actually just experienced everything kind of during the shakeout process firsthand because we were part of that, I yeah. would say. Yeah. And to take into consideration for boat deliveries nowadays with COVID and all the rules. Um, so yes, people can't do it now. Yeah, okay. it might be complicated for boat captains to go like, for yeah. example, to the US or, you know, so, so there, you know, hopefully next year things will, will get better, but uh, there, there is that. And, you know, Take into account also that yes, the boat will be um, will be uh, pushed a little bit, and it will show some of the weaknesses. Um, but at the same time, it's a lot of wear and tear uh, on the boat as well, uh, crossing an ocean. And um, so, uh, you know, versus the cost yeah. of shipping, the boat arrives, and and and, um, and then you. And we know people who've had their boats shipped, um, who live on the East Coast, and they had their boat shipped, and then their plan was to do what you're describing to sort of work on it and, and live on it, and also continue their their day jobs. Um, and so they're going through, it's just a different process. It's a different transition. And, and um, mm. you know, that's a good path too. I, I would say um, in retrospect, I mean, like, let's say from these people we know in Florida that got the boat shipped um, to Florida and they live nearby, they're taking their time, yeah. um, you know, because the boat is accessible, there's a lot of uh, great um, you know companies over there to to improve yeah. you know to do work on the boat, and I would say you know if you don't speak French, like for example we bought the boat in France, or if you don't speak the language or know the culture in another country that is now fairly foreign. Um, it's, it's, it's not a bad a, way to go. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not, we, cause we're in California, so we didn't really have that option to go, you know, to mm-hmm. do the, but if you live in Florida or that area or Annapolis or whatever, mm-hmm. it'd be a great way to do it. I think, I mean, they're discovering the same things we've discovered too. So that part doesn't change, but I think in terms of the, yeah. the to transition, give, it definitely adds a little bit to the complexity when you're moving onto the boat and then you're starting to... Everything happens all at once. You're starting your, your, your destination, you know. So, so if you could snap your fingers and that boat, that same exact boat could have appeared in the Bay Area, say, a year ago, while you were still living out of your house, doing your jobs, and you could have, quote-unquote, eased into that process, how valuable would that have been? How, how much easier would that have made your transition? Huh. At the same time, you know, if you're still working, <laughs> the time is limited. So, if, I mean, if you're really like, uh, we, we were living about uh, 45 minutes away from, from the bay. So, I oh, mean, oh. the weekends we could have gone there. And, but um, it's, it's also true that the learning curve is going to happen faster once you're leaving Dane and day out on the boat. 
and uh, and versus yeah. you know you go there for the weekend you want to enjoy it a little bit you buy some stuff to do a project you cannot finish it and uh, so I mean or or the best is you know you move on the boat um in you know in the San Francisco Bay and then you can work remotely and now you're on the boat and you can be thinking about stuff and on the boat but yeah uh, I don't know I guess- plus we wanted to go I mean we had like this grease turkey thing that we really really wanted to do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. starting in California we y- y- you kind of like yeah. y- you'd have to go all the way back around to get there so yeah we we could have you could do that. Yeah, that would not be a, an issue you'll do on the on the back end and you might have to cross the Atlantic <laughs> yeah. one more time. But um so I, I don't know. I think there is maybe no perfect uh solution given like, you know, um work and um and uh and yeah, location yeah, of the boat and just personal. Yeah. I, but I think it's just important to keep in mind that uh the more time you spend before you go on your journey. To prepare the boat, to know the boat, the better the experience is going to be. Right. I just would offer another perspective because um, it sounds like too you you guys are thinking about working while you're yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to give you my completely honest opinion. I, I consider myself to be pretty organized, pretty focused, really good about managing my time, really good about kind of compartmentalizing personal stuff and work stuff and that month I spent working while I was on the boat in the middle of this was extremely difficult to just, I I ended up having to go rent a uh, co-op office in La Rochelle actually with Wi-Fi, where I could just literally go to that office and work because there's so many distractions. There's distractions on the dock. There's distractions with people you know, there was work getting done on the boat. You know, it's a distraction because you want to do stuff on the boat. You know, it's just, it was very difficult. And then trying to get to places with decent Wi-Fi has been a challenge. And then the right weather windows, you know, to be able, because I had to be on a four-hour conference call every Monday. So we would have to do some of these passages over the weekend. And the scheduling, the work schedule doesn't always fit with what the weather wants to do or what you discover in sail drives or, you know, something like this. So I, I would just definitely... Don't underestimate the challenges of having a structured work schedule uh, mm-hmm. while you're also trying to be on a boat. Like if you have something a little more loose, I think it would be okay, but um, you know, definitely challenging. Yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, I mean, Holly, you were just you continued to work. I don't know how many weeks after you uh, you got to La Rochelle, but it, it wasn't months. I mean, it was just weeks, right? And yeah. well, until well, it was it was a month and a half. A month right. and a half. Why? So, no, 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 no. So July, so so June 30th. So it was all of July, all of August, and then middle of September. So yeah. it was two and a half months. So for two and a half months, okay. yeah. yeah. And then two, but in the grand scheme of things, if you could have finished your work before embarking on your journey and doing everything you had to do, would you have done it that way? So it's well, that was like, the plan. The plan was uh-huh. that I was going to quit my job in the middle of June when Stefan quit his job. So the, the plan, the original plan was the boat was going to come out in February. The magic was going to happen in the commissioning sometime between February and June. In June, my son was going to graduate from college and his daughter was going to graduate from high school. And we were going to like get on an airplane on their way back from the graduation ceremonies, fly to France, and, and we would have quit our jobs and been on our merry way. What happened was um, my company last January, so it was like, it was, well, it's, it, the whole kind of drama started in November, um, was going through the process of getting spun out. Um, and so, you know, we had all of the financial meetings and, you know, all the pitches and we went through this whole thing. And so we actually announced, we announced the spin out. Actually, it was like the day the boat came out. So you were in France and I was at our state conference. And then we were issuing the press release about the company getting bought literally the same day. So as all this is going on at work and I'm at this major event that our company puts on, um, you know, leading it through the marketing department, Stefan's texting me pictures of the boat coming out. And I'm like, I can't pay attention to this right now, (laughs) you know? So what that meant was I was then secured. I had to be there through the closing period. So I couldn't leave until the deal closed, which was the September 1st. And then I had to wait another two weeks. So actually 
me staying at work wasn't really a part of the original plan. And I would say we, we had to move again because of visa, because of many, many reasons. But if you're going to, and people do it, not saying it's not possible, but yeah, if you to really, the overall message is like trying to simplify, you know, that's this message with preparing the boat as much as possible to make it easy for a couple to handle, uh, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, um, simplify your destinations if you're not trying to um, be too optimistic about going to all these places. You know, you, you have to, I think what we learned from this this uh, passage early on, uh, from this season early on, it's like, okay, the season has to be focused on boat preparation and on on the boat delivery because yeah. we knew that we had to be out of the Schengen area. And also we wanted to set ourselves up for next year with the countries that we want to be focusing on. And once you really prioritize this, then the rest yeah. has to let go because you cannot have too many people priorities. were sending us messages like, Oh my God, you're missing Portugal. You're missing Spain. Why are yeah. you missing Ibiza? You know, why didn't you stop the French right. Riviera? And we're like, no, no, we're in boat delivery. No, <laughs> don't talk to us. We're <laughs> delivering the boat. So, and yeah. And, and so if you're like planning to to keep working and many people do it, yeah, just to be focusing, okay, both work has to be part of a priority. That yeah. means the journey has to, to align with that right. and to not be too optimistic because, uh, yeah, it'll take some time to adjust. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's good advice. So are you, is that, does the future hold for you the plan to do this full time? Are you always going to keep that house in Tahoe and, in winter there. Yeah. So our initial plan uh, was sell everything, move on to the boat and do this full time. We met uh, two years ago, we went to La Rochelle and uh, to, to meet, uh, to see the boat and uh, to meet some people. And then we, we did the factory tour. That was, yeah, the yeah. factory tour. And we met an older couple on the dock and they invited us onto their boat. And they said, there are two types of cruisers. The cruisers that's, that cruise full-time and the cruisers that cruise part-time. And it so says the cruisers that cru- cruise part-time cruise longer. And in their case, they had a house in Colorado, so they will sail you know, maybe six, eight months of the year, and they will come back to Colorado, and they will get back to the boat. And they obviously had been doing this for <laughs> decades. Mm-hmm. It was like 25, 30 years or something oh, like it's, that. Yeah. It was a long time. So, and I will say now, like, you know, and again, it's our first season and there's a lot of stuff that will become yeah. just more natural and less stress and, you know, and stuff like this. But I would say it's a good balance. Um, I, I love the boat. I love the cruising life and, you know, I love our dream and everything. But I'm also happy now that, you know, we were going to cruise in Montenegro and the weather is not so great right now and it might get better. But at, at one point, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm happy to discover Montenegro by road, by bike, yeah. <laughs> walking. I think you know we've done, we've accomplished a lot of our goals um, to get you know to where we needed to be by a certain date. And at some point, you need to be able to relax and just yeah. be you know to to really continue to enjoy this journey because when you're at an anchorage. You have and 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 given it's a COVID season, and, and there's not many boats. There's the half season. the boats as there normally. But boats are. are coming in and out, and every time there is a boat that approaching the anchorage, it's hard not to observe what they're doing, thinking like where are they going to anchor, and and then you spend an you spend an hour or two mentally like thinking about all these, and then we had a boat that you know we anchored. I, I keep watching. Holly says I'm going to take a nap. I'm watching everything for like another hour after we anchored, and I go down below. I say I'll, I'll do a little nap as well. I come back up like 30 minutes later, and I'm like, "What is this boat next to us?" Oh yeah, dragged it? anchor. Yeah, and I'm like, "Well, this boat was further ahead, so this boat just dragged. Luckily, dragged like you know, um, 30 meters, like." away from us but really close that i could talk to the person and i'm and i'm yelling and then this person comes out and her husband and her son are on land and she's by herself so she says i cannot re-anchor she let out more chain and so at one point we said well do you mind if we re-anchor like into your old spot and she was very happy we did this but so so you're like mentally 
you know, and, and afterwards we're talking about this. What's the worst that can happen if a boat, you know, drags onto you? I mean, it's not it's an great. insurance it's, claim, you know. It's yeah. not like your boat is going to sink and it's just going to be a pain in the butt. But so I'm like, okay, I need to relax about all this. But when you see things happening or you see charter boats coming next to you and you're like, oh, how much knowledge do they have? You know, it's not their boat. Yeah. <laughs> so mentally, it's a little taxing. And and going at in marinas is also uh, oh, marinas <laughs> like oh yeah we once <laughs> once you're in the marina right now we're like really pretty relaxed but you know getting in there not knowing like everything and stuff yeah. it's also pretty uh, pretty stressful so to to take a break I think it seems like a very healthy mm-hmm. um, yeah, healthy kind of um, at least you know and listen you're catching us in this trough that we're talking about right so we're going we're you know we're kind of coming out of the completely overwhelmed stage we're getting more comfortable um we have more confidence in the boat but it it is i think there's a lot of the first season i think there's just a lot more stress uh initially than just worrying about everything that probably people get comfortable with. And certainly people do get comfortable with it because we've talked to people who've gone through it and live on the boat full time. But I think the point is we're happy to go back and take a break. Um, <laughs> and looking forward to come back. And, and, but we're also looking forward to next season and um, you know a whole new set of challenges. But I'm not sure after that what's going to happen. What do you mean? Oh, you well, naturally, it, and then we if we cross the Atlantic, then then you know the then you're following it, the sun is the yeah. point. So, so you know, we the, might be there on, on like over a year on yeah. the boat. because yeah. because the other thing about the med and and why we're also happy to go back is it, it's cold here in in the winter. So mm. I don't really want to be stuck in a marina on a cold boat during the winter. Meanwhile, I'd rather be we're skiing. going back to Tao in the mountain. When yeah, it's we're going to go skiing, but um, <laughs> at least we're doing that. So there's like a seasonal aspect to it too, mm. you know, depending on where you are. But if you follow the sun, then, you know, then we'll have different choices to make. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful. I really appreciate that because the, those are a lot of points that... Um, that we hadn't talked about. So thank you. That's that's awesome. Um, I'm just wondering now that you have made the transition and from you know onto live aboard lifestyle. Um, I'm assuming you know before you were just living the raising your kids, working full time, and so forth, and you had sort of your life's purpose of. Um, you know what your personal goals were, and as well as just overall family commitments. And now that you've transitioned uh, into this new season, have you felt in any way that your life's purpose and your overall goals have been disrupted or has there been like an or- a reorientation period or do you feel like you made the transition with a very, this was part of your purpose and so it made for an easier transition? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, there, there are certain things that we want to get out of the cruising lifestyle. And and one is to really get into the cruising community with other like-minded people mm-hmm. who, are, you know, who've like liked adventures, like traveling, like other discovering new cultures, and and so I think we definitely are looking forward to um, to get to know cruisers and hang out with other cruisers and travel along for a period of time, and that's something that we haven't had a chance to experience this year yet. Just just not temp- too much, yeah, yeah not too much. And the other part of our, the cruising lifestyle that we want to really um, uh, emphasize is also spend, slow down and, and spend more time in some areas to really, um, as much as we can, somehow mingle with the local people. Um, because that's something that is, that is important to us to get these experiences uh, with, um, with, with people from different cultures, they speak in different languages. And that's kind of the, one of the reason of the, uh, there are multiple reasons as why we do the podcast or the social media is one for our own memories, because, yeah. you know, you tend to forget and it's, it'll be fun in 10 years from now to, to listen to, to them listen. all. Yeah. It's also for our family and friends um, to be able to follow kind of what we're, what we're doing. And, um, and now we're realizing uh, it has some, it's, it's useful to other people who want to, to take on the same journey, but also we're hoping that other people locally in some countries that might follow the podcast or others, uh, will reach to us to say, Hey, you are like in Turkey and, you know, I've been following your boat and, you know, uh, let's get together. And, And now you get a whole different experience, like, 
you know, discovering a country or like a village or something. So, so those are two things that we definitely want to get out of, you know, being closer to the cruising community and local people. Yeah. And I guess, um, I have a, another personal kind of thought on that, but before I go into that, I want to comment on something you you said too about getting gaining friends in the community, I guess, mm-hmm. and and being around like minded people. Because Stefan and I are in a blended family situation with you know different sets of kids, and I would say even if if you're a married couple who's been married the whole time, you know, like what we what I sort of discovered at one point was because of my career, the people that I was friends with were either people I worked with, um, and you have that as an interest or, you know, your kids, um, your kids, parent, kids, friends, parents, or, you know, my kids were into swimming. So it was like the, the swim team parents and, and, and they were your friends, but that was what you had in common. You didn't necessarily have other personal interests in common. So, you know, what we found as we were sort of getting more into the sailing circles is we found people that were more like-minded in terms of, you know, whatever it was, you know, um, healthy lifestyle, open to international cultures, you know, just we, we shared more living more in the moment, you know, to. things like this. <laughs> and so I think you, you start to kind of, you know, meet people that you just naturally are, you know, have things in common with because that's where you're coming from. Um, for me personally, you know, I feel like, um, and I'm at a weird point, I think, because I, I, at my whole life, I was very, very focused on my career and you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you want to keep going for this brass ring and you get to a point and you're like, wow, what is this all for? And what really matters. And, you know, you get up, you go to, you get in your car, you commute, you commute, you commute, you work, 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 you come home, you cook dinner, you help kids with homework, you deal with that, you, you know, shuttle kids around to this practice or that activity, you go to bed and you do the whole thing over again. At one point, you know, then what? And so this, this idea we had about it being a, a re- when we retire, maybe we'll sail, maybe we'll do this. You know, we kind of had a serious conversation after we, should we maybe, if we're going to do this, we should actually plan for it and have it, you know, be real. And so I think when it comes back to life purpose, it's like, I don't think that I had given that a whole lot of thought outside my career and my kids, you know, in terms of what I wanted out of my life, um, but now that we sort of have this sailing dream and kind of are in it now, I think one thing that as I was reflecting on this question you posed over email was I also have fears to overcome. And Stefan tends to be much more, you don't think about worries as much as I, I worry a lot, you know? Mm. And so there are fears to overcome, like what if this happens or what if that happens? And I don't see myself as being super risk adverse necessarily, but you don't realize how many fears you and worries you have until you're faced with something that's completely unknown. And um, as I've started to talk to my, you know, as, as I first started talking to my kids about it, what I understood was I was also sort of inspiring them to push past their own fears, you know, and I have a niece and nephew too. And, and they're like, wow, you know, you would do that. And so I feel like at least for the people that are in my family and my kids and my niece and nephew, that maybe it inspires them to push, you know, to do things they want to do and, you know, not kind of make decisions based on your fears or what society or what tells society you. tells you. Well, that's part of the fears, right? Mm. Like being judged or, you know, mm. thinking you're, you're, you have a crazy idea and why would you ever do that? You know? But it's, it's kind of interesting too, because even if we knew as part of the way our plan was set up that we would initially, like we said, we were thinking full time and you no, know, we were going to quit our jobs you're focusing on the dream and you're focusing on the boat and focusing on all these things. And at one point when it was time to suddenly quit our quit jobs, jobs <laughs> you're having second thoughts. You're, and like, you're like, why am I doing this? I know it was part of the plan all along, but now I have to do it. And that sounds like crazy. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yes. Because, you know, I, this was asked because a lot of these other individuals seem to 
portray the purpose. It's almost hedonistic. You know, the purpose is to like escape from the reality of life and, and, you know, anchor in Tahiti, so on and so forth. (laughs) So, so for us, um, you know, part of, part of the decision-making matrix is to ensure that it is, it is aligned with what, what we consider our values and Mm -hmm. point Holly in terms of setting an example for your kids. Right. Uh, for us as well, it's, it's around getting outside our comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, the fellowship is hugely important, but at the same time, we could continue to, you know, promote health, like for example, creating a business whereby we can provide meal solutions for sailors by sailors, you know, to, to ease that whole aspect, you know, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. People and people tend to eat out of cans, you know, things that have a long storage life and not necessarily nutritionally dense. Yeah. So we so should have we a whole other that. conversation because we're we're vegans. Well, Stefan's Plan-based. better about it than I am, but um, oh, you know, sure. yeah, we're we're uh we're all about the nutrition and you know, how trying to get fresh produce and stuff. But I think you're right. I think there has to be some some larger purpose in it. And and for me personally you know, kind of just referring back to to the point, I don't know if it's a purpose point or not, but pushing past some of these fears to me, you can't fully live life on a set of boundaries or comfort zones. You know, it's at least for me, like that's what I'm getting a lot out of this. And, um, you know, I, I say to Stefan almost every day, thank you for for encouraging me to do this or that, or thank you for pushing us to hike up that stupid volcano, you know, because <laughs> it's like your, your initial reaction is like, wait, we're going to hike an active volcano. Is that a very good idea? You know, is this going to be like, you know, somebody's going to write sure. an art, art, article about dying on the top. Like, why were they there? You know? <laughs> and, and I think it's important also because listening to other podcasts that were not especially related to, uh, to sailing, um, and and more uh, to younger people who are trying to find also, you know, they, they realize society has dictated a certain way of living and they're not buying into it. Mm-hmm. And and then one of the common lessons that I got from all these podcasts is that uh, you just go, you're not going to come up with um, maybe some ideas behind a desk. And, yeah. and so... And it's, and it's a leap of faith you have to take, but it's just go do what you want to do. And once you're in that right. environment, meeting certain people and looking and thinking, uh, you know, outside the box and looking for opportunities, maybe, you know, like a purpose or maybe like a business idea or something will come up where you can combine what you want your life to be and make a living out of it, for example, or have, you know, like you said, like a bigger purpose. Yeah. The universe will kind of reveal it to you over Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's a wonderful philosophical discussion that we can go on and on about. (laughs) (laughs) Any, uh, any closing thoughts of, uh, of wisdom for newbies? Um, You know, like the top two or three things to the top two or three lessons that, uh, that you'd want to impart on us before, before we share an anchor someday? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'll give my perspective and then maybe Stefan can add to it. We've talked a lot about these things too among ourselves. But I think the most important thing is um, what we've heard from everybody. um, Because I did did a lot of conversations and we've talked to a lot of people too, is everybody says, the only regret I have is that I didn't do it sooner. I think the second piece of advice I would give is you have to completely manage your expectations. I think the point is, is there's going to be things that you expect to happen based on your past experience that it just doesn't exist in this world of boat boats and boat life and, and things. And some are going to be, and I think if you do that, you're going to have amazing, wonderful experiences. You know, you can't apply the rules of the conventional living to this kind of life, at least so far in our experience. I think it's just really good to uh, go in with not having a lot, not having expectations. I can see how, I'll give you an example that that's recent, you know, even with Montenegro, like we didn't do a ton of research on coming here other than is it a safe and good place to winter the boat? Is it a good marina? Um, and does it suffice with our Schengen requirements that we, we had to comply with? 
Um, and then we get here and it's beautiful. And suddenly we go on TripAdvisor and we learn all the stuff about Montenegro and we're like, oh my gosh, this place is awesome. And the people, you know, and and the the people are amazing, you know, just... and it's, but imagine if we had done all this research and then you have all of these expectations and then you come here and then it's not so much of a surprise. So it's, I'm not trying to say, you know, sandbag your expectations because it's not great. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you have expectations, they might get in the way with you actually having really joyful, wonderful experiences with things. Yeah. The other two things that come to mind um, is doing exactly what you're doing, like take your time because we all are going to make mistakes for this journey, but what you don't want is to make big mistakes. Right. And, um, and so I think it's very smart, smart of both of you to talk to other people who've done this for many years or kind of going through this um, and, and really figure out, you know, what is going to be the right boat, you know, where do you want to get it, you know, and, and, and stuff like this. So I think to take your time to really do your due diligence uh, to really figure out what's going to be right for both of you. Um, I think that's, that's really important. And then you, you mentioned earlier about the budget. And I think it's, it's quite important to have a real set of expectations yeah. about, you know, because it's tempting, you know, you go to see boats and of course a bigger boat is going to look better than a smaller boat or a newer boat is going to look better than a used boat. But I think to, to really keep, stay grounded about, about the money, because, you know, I mean, people might have different kind of, you know, uh, budgets, but the, the dream people living it in small boats and they're making it happen. Yeah. And, but you don't want like the, the money or, or the lack of money because you spend it upfront into a boat uh, to suddenly be a burden in, right. in your, in your journey. So to really have a, a, a clear budget, to be aware of, you know, if you buy a used boat to really account for all the things, those extra costs. If you get a new boat, same thing, you know, you're going to add certain things afterwards and at one point we stop counting because otherwise you, 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 you make yourself sick and you're like, okay, once we leave our shell, <laughs> yeah. then the things will, will stop spending money. No, it's so funny you say that because, because when we set our budget for the boat, we had the budget for the boat, we had the budget for commissioning. And then I added on like another hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, okay, it's going to be another hundred thousand dollars for something. I don't know what it yeah. is, but at some point it will. And, um, I don't, I certainly, we didn't hit that number yet this first year, but, but just the fact that we thought ahead to go, there's, there's going to be other things and you put, you know, enough, enough in a slot to say for things unknown, then it made that whole La Rochelle experience when we were there kind of getting everything less painful, at least for me, mm -hmm. because I was like, okay, no, that was the budget, you know, it was mm -hmm. there. So I think you just have to be really, whether it's a small boat, a big boat, a new boat, a used boat, you know, you have to over budget. I think is the point. Um, yeah. And everybody told us this. They were like, the boat's going to cost twice as much as you think. It's going to take twice as long as you think. It's going to all these things. So when you're, when you're figuring out a budget and a time frame, I think those, those rules do apply. Mm -hmm. so, so Catherine, what they're saying is that we'll be happy on our Hobie 16 sailing. Around the <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't quite think I heard the same they thing, were, darling. <laughs> no, but that's so helpful. That's really good to um, to certainly um, have that conversation. And and you've given us so many variations of the discussions that Mark and I have had through our research and just our own journey um, into this process that you've given us new talking points and really some critical things to consider. So I'm so grateful for the, the value that you've shared with us. It's just been incredible. Um, Holly, I can really relate to you and your risk management plan and so forth. So I'm okay, just cool. digging into all of that. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, that you're very welcome. <laughs> thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another covert castaway. Fair winds for now.